0: welcome to this week's insights podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network I'm David Campbell
1: and I'm Don Mills
0: Don an excellent interview today with John Davis the CEO of Halibu Holdings which is the economic development arm of the Halibu First Nation in Newfoundland and Labrador and I'm I'm um, I, I didn't really know the extent of that organization they have 25,000 members they represent indigenous people from basically coast to coast in in Newfoundland uh, and they're they're doing a lot of interesting things to foster economic development uh, for the Indigenous population.
1: But one of the interesting things that John mentioned, and I didn't realize this, uh, is that it, it is a non-reserve ban, which means they're, they're basically living in 67 communities across the province. They don't really have a reserve uh, as a focus, which is an interesting uh, side of the Indigenous communities that you don't often hear about. And uh, I think that that's uh, that, that that's, uh, that's somewhat unique. I think he said there's only a handful of, uh, of bands. That there's over 600 or so in Canada. It's only a handful who are, are, are have this non-reserve status. So uh, we don't hear much about uh, um, these kinds of communities. Uh, the other thing that I. Th- think is really interesting is, uh, he mentioned that uh, the bans have been mandated by the federal government to become more self-sufficient, you know, uh, without a lot of pressure on them, but to, to get them to look at their own economic future uh, and take control of it. Uh, what I got from this conversation is that uh, this ban has really done a good job setting a table for the future for, for their members. And of course uh, they, you know, they've already uh, become self-sufficient in their own way uh, with their current revenue streams. But the big play obviously is resource development. Uh, we, we talked specifically about green hydrogen today, but he also mentioned mining, which is another big opportunity. Newfoundland is a resource rich province and, and the indigenous people obviously uh, have to be part of any development of that resource. So it's, it was a very interesting um, conversation.
0: Yeah, we go quite deep into what they're doing around uh, green hydrogen and wind energy and that whole sector that's emerging in Newfoundland and Labrador. And um, you know, they're look taking a long term view. They're going to make planning to make equity investments in in some of these projects and uh, and and provide uh, some governance and environmental oversight as well. So it's very interesting to see, and also indigenous workforce opportunities. So they have a lot of trades folks um and many of them are in alberta and uh we didn't talk that much about that today but the, the there is an opportunity to bring some of those folks back if there's long-term good-paying trades jobs in newfoundland and labrador so lots of potential benefits it's um people say it's early days with green hydrogen but uh, as as john mentioned to us you know world gh2 if that that's like very close to the to the the you know the um capital investment decision. They're, they're going to break ground early in the new year if this thing goes ahead. And that's the first project of five. But it's not speculative. I mean, they're they're proceeding ahead at, uh, at a rapid pace. So it is exciting, uh, exciting opportunity.
1: Uh, you know, and we've talked uh, with other green hydrogen proponents. Uh, the challenge for all of them is the competition, not just to get the projects going because it's worldwide, the global uh, you know, competition for materials and supplies uh, is significant, the competition for capital, the competition for talent. You know, it's uh, it, the first in is going to have the advantage and hopefully Atlantic Canada is going to be the first in. Like, you know, it looks like we're on a good track right now. Um, question is, can we can we get there quick and, and take advantage of, of that first in uh, opportunity?
0: Okay, with that as an introduction, here is our conversation with John Davis, CEO, Halibut Holdings uh, from Newfoundland and Labrador. John, welcome to the Insights Podcast.
2: Oh, pleased to be here.
0: So before we get started talking about the Halibu First Nations and the, the Development Corporation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where, where you were born, uh, you know, raised, and, and how you ended up uh, running the uh, Halibu uh, Development Corporation?
2: Sure. Um, I guess um, I was born and raised actually here in Corner Brook in western Newfoundland, spent most of my working career here. Um, I had previously done a career with the provincial government, Um, And uh, I plugged in 30, 31 years. Um, During that entire time, I worked with the various um, uh, departments of business because it uh, was uh, uh, something that would uh, go through uh, uh, structural changes and name changes from time to time. So I retired from there in 2017 um, and had really intended to stay that way. Uh, previous to that um, I had I had done some work with Halibut First Nation in my role with government I was in a fairly senior uh, management level as a director level Um, and um, and I guess uh, I I managed to get about seven or eight months out of it and um, this position uh, came along and uh, I had a number of discussions uh, with representatives from Halibut and ultimately decided to uh, to take the job so that's Kind of how I ended up here. So that was uh, that was just over six years ago. I really, honestly, did not think I would I would be here for another six years. Uh, but uh, I w- will say that the work, for the most part, is absolutely fascinating, and um, you know, it's uh, it's what motivates me to get up in the morning and 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 come in and do this rather than just pure retirement.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly an exciting time, and we're going to be talking about some of the interesting things yeah. you're working on. Um, but first, I'd like to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about the Indigenous population and in Mi'kmaq communities in Newfoundland and Labrador. Do you have a rough idea for us around the size of the population and how many communities?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, we're 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 quite large. Uh, we're we're probably the the largest single band in the country. Uh, we have just over twenty five thousand members. So that that is in terms of First Nations, I think there's about six hundred and forty. Uh, recognized under the Indian Act. Uh, that would certainly uh, put us up there. Um, we're recognized by the federal government as a non-reserve band. And again, that's something that's fairly unique in the country. Um, but we're recognized across uh, 67 communities, right across Newfoundland. So that expa- that uh, spans from the West Coast, the Northeast Coast, um, all of Central Newfoundland, um, Southwest Coast, and certainly it extends into Eastern Newfoundland. So... If you look at a map of where all those communities are, um, you know we uh, we would we probably be present uh, in about four fifths of the landmass that makes up the um, you know the island portion of Newfoundland or Labrador. So uh, so uh, I, uh, some, someone did the math, I believe, uh, <clears throat> from our uh, westernmost community to our easternmost community, we're about 470 kilometers. So it is a it is a pretty extensive um, organizational structure.
0: Yeah, it's a large, uh, large territory. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's governed? Uh, what is the relationship between the, the 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 First Nation and the sixty-seven communities that you mentioned?
2: Yeah, as I just mentioned, because of that uh, geographical spread, uh, due to uh, um, well, like I said, the geography, the numbers of, of members that we have. Um, we're officially recognized in 67 communities. So, what you will find is that the indigenous population, in many respects, is embedded within the non indigenous population. So, some of the larger communities in the province outside of the city of St. John's, such as Cornerbrook, um, Gander, Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, Stephenville, uh, are recognized as, um, as indigenous communities. So that does not mean that we have uh, 67 um, uh, uh, smaller sub-First Nations, you know, with, with band councils and chiefs and those kinds of things. That does exist, by the way, in some cases. Uh, but um, we're, uh, like so we're, we're largely uh, 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 spread out in those 67 communities. And as well, I guess, like most other bands in the country, we also have a fairly significant uh, you know, part of the population that exists elsewhere uh, across the, the province and even outside the province. I guess in terms of our, our governance, um, we uh, bec- because of those unique features, uh, we have uh, one chief, of course. We have two vice chiefs, one for Western and one for Central Newfoundland. Uh, we have nine ward councillors. So we elect our councillors, uh, again, uh, subject to geography. So those nine ward councillors, two vice chiefs and the chief make up our, our council. And uh, they, uh, they basically run and operate, you know, Halibut First Nation, much the same way as uh, any other First Nation across the country.
1: Uh, John, you mentioned that uh, you're unique in, in that you're a non-reserve uh, yeah. community. Do you want to explain for our listeners what that really means?
2: Well, um, uh, I'm, I'm on a little thin ice uh, because uh, nor, normally the chief or someone from council w- would explain this. So, uh, But basically what it means is that when when our band was formed or recognized, I should say, um, in uh, 2011, so we're comparatively new when you, when you look at right across the country um, in, in terms of, of, of actual recognition, at least under the Indian Act. Um, and um, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, uh, what was the question again, uh, Don? Well, uh,
1: you, you mentioned that you were unique in the fact that you were uh, a, a non-reserve yeah, yeah. Uh, indigenous community.
2: Yeah. yeah. So in, in the original agreement between uh, the crown and the federal government and, and, um, and, and Halibut, um, it was set up, I guess, because of that disparate uh, huge population across 67 communities. Um, it was just set up as a non-reserve um, uh, at that time. Um, I, I know the question comes, and again, this would be a question better placed uh, to, to the chief or the band manager or someone who, uh, who's uh, elected as a counselor. Uh, you know, uh, not, not to say I mean, at some point in time, you know, there may, may not be another run at that, uh, but right now, uh, I, think, I think there's about four or five, uh, from what I understand, uh, non-reserve uh, bands that are set up in the country. But ultimately, you know, the members are full-fledged, recognized under the Indian Act, so uh, we, don't, we don't really see it as any kind of a great hindrance, uh, whether we're a reserve or a non-reserve, as far as that goes. Certainly, doesn't it doesn't really impact um, our business operations.
1: So we want to talk about the uh, Halibut uh, Development Corporation, the business investment arm of the Halibu First Nation. Uh, but tell us about when it was established and and, and what's its purpose?
2: Well, it was established uh, in 2011, uh, essentially just at about the same time that the band itself was formed. Uh, as you may be aware, um, all First Nations across the country are mandated by the federal government to become self-sufficient to the degree that they can, as quickly as they can, so you will find that uh, virtually every every uh, First Nation or band across the country um, either has some kind of a, a, a division uh, or a branch of their First Nation, or a full active uh, uh, corporation uh, like we have. So we've been around since 2011. Um, it was uh, at that time it was called the Haliburton Development Corporation, and it was established to seek out new commercial opportunities as a way to increase our own source revenue so uh, that's that's our mandate we've gone through a few changes since then um, um changed our structure a little bit but essentially the mandate has remained the same um right now halibut holdings um we're a small group of companies um uh we have um our uh, i guess most prominent uh company is Migma commercial fisheries um and um so between Halibut Holdings and Mi'kmaq commercial f- fisheries, at the present time, we are self-sustaining. We generate enough revenue to uh, pay our bills and keep the lights on, those kinds of things. So we're, we're quite happy about that.
1: Well, that happened over a pretty uh, short period of time, so congratulations.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, interestingly enough, um, um, uh, we, we, we reach out and, of course, talk to other bands across the country because they've been around so long just to find out you know, um, uh, you know wh- what are what are the the you know the, the right ways to do things. What are the pitfalls to avoid? And you know, I have spoken to um, similar organizational structures where you know they went 35, 40 years and didn't make any money before they became right. self sufficient. So again, it is something we're, we're pretty proud of.
1: So, can you give us uh, some examples of the companies and the projects that you're working on? Um, and we're not not on the green uh, hydrogen sector because we want to talk that about that later. But the other ones that you're currently involved in.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. There are there are a few examples. Uh, I, I just mentioned Migma commercial fisheries. That uh, we we consider that to be our kind of mainstay um, revenue generator. Um, that uh, that uh, that. Enterprise. We own presently about sixteen licenses. Uh, we own one, a fairly significant vessel as well, as she's a sixty-footer. Um, and um, I guess what we've been doing the last uh, several years, while the price of, of, of snow crab was really high, we've invested significantly in acquiring new quota, and we've been we've been quite successful in that uh, as well. So um, so our just generally with our, our fishery, um, that's quite a lucrative uh, kind of an operation for us. I guess kind of as a subset of that, uh, one of the things that we've also done, um, you know, uh, sealing was always a really large industry. Um, and it was certainly uh, is something that, uh, you know, part of the cultural uh, makeup of many First Nations right across the entire country and not just Halibut. So um, one of the things we did about three years ago, we partnered with an existing Um, uh, producer, I I guess, of seal oil, and we launched our own brand of uh, seal oil called Waspoo, uh, which is uh, done in small capsules. We sell them at 120, 240 bottle um, sizes. Uh, Initially, we knew we were going to have to take the long-term view in terms of the profitability of, of that aspect of what we do. Um, right now uh, we, we sell online and we do pretty well with that right across the entire country. Uh, but we knew that uh, primarily one of the things we wanted to do with this product was really open up international markets. And you may, you may know uh, seal and seal products. Really there are numerous international prohibitions that exists. Most of those companies that have banned it in some way, shape or form also have indigenous exemptions. So we've been pursuing, um, um trying to place this in international markets where there's a strong demand for the product, uh, but also have the indigenous um, exemption. So uh, so I guess really we spent the last three years, uh, it really had to do with take a long-term view of this. Uh, we've had some success in places like Taiwan and China and Hong Kong, um, and there's some other um, Asian markets uh, where we're very hopeful in the next year or so. So, uh, but I guess one of the things we, uh, even though we knew we were in for a, for a, a long slog in, s- in some of this, we, we didn't understand how long it takes even to meet all the criteria for the indigenous exemption. So, um, so uh, I guess uh, we're, we're essentially paving the way, um, and every year we are seeing incrementally more sales and more revenues. Um, I guess the other exciting thing we've done just this past year, we've unveiled a new product with Seal Oil for pets um and um and we're finding that the sales for that are really robust uh and it and it appeals to a much younger demographic uh with seal oil capsules for humans it's mostly an older uh, age group uh with with pet oil uh that's that's mostly um people in a much younger demographic so uh, essentially same product uh, branded and marketed differently uh, you know and um and uh, like say so penetrating two different uh, consumer markets um, I, I also, I, I guess I should reference in terms of one of our uh, other companies, we have a joint venture with a company um, it's called Eastern Door Logistics is our is our is 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 the name of our company. Uh, Halibut was a 51% owner. Uh, this is a um, fairly large transportation logistics company that's based out of Buffalo, New York. Um, initially, when that company joint venture was formed about six or seven years ago, it was to seek out opportunities in the aerospace and the defense industry, because we we're seeing a lot of work coming to Atlantic Canada for the, um, for the Naval Frigate Pro- Program, for example, over in, uh, in Nova Scotia. So, uh, that's a, that's a company that, um, uh, we, um, uh, we, we haven't seen a lot of activity in the, uh, in the, in the Naval, uh, contract, uh, business. So we've reoriented that, con- uh, that company to, more towards the mining sector and more recently to the renewable energy sector. So, uh, And through that company, we also have affiliations with, uh, for example, Renus Canada, which is a subset, I guess, of Renus Germany, one of the largest shipping, transportation, logistics companies in the world, who also has a huge footprint in terms of um, hydrogen uh, and ammonia. So, So that's a company we have really high hopes for going forward in we're pretty confident that within the next year you know we will see certainly some increased business activity through that company strictly related to uh to the renewable sector
1: uh, obviously you have some financial uh goals that you'd like to achieve and and, and probably some employment goals as well can you talk about uh, uh where the corporation is now from if you can, from a revenue perspective and, and, and perhaps the number of jobs that you've created for your own community?
2: Well, uh, that one that one is a bit more difficult to answer. I guess, uh, suffice to say, in the last five or six years, um, uh, I won't get into uh, hard numbers, uh, but um, uh, pandemic notwithstanding, which really impacted every single thing that we, d- we do, including uh, uh, had a major detrimental effect on our fishery. But we've we've taken our uh, revenue, I guess, streams, I guess, from hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, certainly into millions of dollars. Uh, I, I don't want to over exaggerate that. I mean, we're we're still we're we're still new, and we we still consider ourselves to be uh, like the young kids on the block. Uh, but um, uh, we've we've enjoyed some, um, I think, some success in terms of trying to diversify our activities overall. Uh, and as a result we, we've certainly been able to generate additional uh, revenue the the employment numbers um, they're a bit more difficult we, we have not really to this point in time set up hard targets um, for example when you're talking about um, seal oil um, you know uh, we're, we're just doing that with in conjunction with another established company through a private uh, label partnership so you know there's there's no increased uh, employment uh, that's attributable to um, our, our members at this point in time, um, even though I, I should say uh, I think we've been we've helped uh, kind of reestablish the fact that, um, you know, sealing is something that's um, you know part of the cultural makeup of our band. So just this past year, we hosted a seal training uh, seminar uh, and we had over uh, 20 people who did the training who are now licensed as commercial sealers uh, directly through Halibut. So, I'm not sure I would include those um, as, as, as being employed by us, um, but we're certainly seeing sp- some spin off there as well, you know, in terms of uh, commercial employability, if I can put it that way. Right. But uh, I guess, uh, Don, if I can also reference go- going forward um, with some of the larger scale things, we, we've really seen the last four or five, six years is kind of setting the table um, for, for um, and of course, um, About two years ago, no one had really heard much about wind energy and hydrogen, certainly not in in this province. So we have really high hopes and ambitions uh, right across the piece, not only in terms of revenue and revenue that will go back to our band, the members, but certainly in terms of, of employment as well.
1: Uh, just before I turn it over to David, I just wanted to talk about what what, uh, what your strategy is uh, as a corporation. Uh, to you, how, you know, how how do you anticipate using the profits that you generate from your business development activities? What, what what's the plan there?
2: Well, I guess what we've done so far, and again, you know, we we have we have significantly increased our revenue, uh, but for the most part, um, what we've done is we've reinvested that back through our corporate bodies. Um, you know, we have to do a lot of research and a lot of planning. Um, there's a lot of legal work. Um, I don't think I have to explain too much, you know, when you're, when you're trying to negotiate MOUs and various kinds of things, you need to have a huge support team behind. So, uh, fortunately for us, we, we've had the money internally to be able to pay for some of those things. Uh, we do pay service fees, uh, back to our, um, our, our band council, um, we have not duplicated, for example, we don't have our own HR division or IT um, or finance or operations. So our band office provides those things for us. And we in turn uh, provide them with, with fees. Um, and again, I mean, they're, 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 not, they're not massive. I mean, they're not going to make a huge difference to a band that has 25,000 members. Uh, you know, but they're, they're somewhere in the range of about $100,000 a year. Uh, which which we turn back directly to the band, so we're, we're quite happy to do it. But I guess the larger question, and it's something we spent quite a bit of time talking about internally, is that you know when when we do get to the point where we are generating significant profits, um, uh, any anything that we don't reinvest to create new opportunities or more employment directly, uh, will go back to our uh, our band. So um, um, everything stays within within Hollywood First Nation and is used to support. Uh, band member programs and services and those kinds of things. And that's been, that's been our strategy right from the very start.
0: So John, now we want to talk about the green hydrogen and wind energy opportunity in the province. This is an exciting new opportunity. It's not just one project. There are five different projects uh, at various stages of development. And as you and I've talked about before, some of those are looking very, very promising. So I guess the first question I would have have for you is we're seeing green hydrogen projects emerging all across North America, some in Europe and and Asia. What, in your opinion, you've been pretty close to this, uh, what, in your opinion, makes Newfoundland and Labrador a good place for the development of green hydrogen?
2: Well, um, uh, there's a whole number of elements, I think, to to that question. Uh, First and foremost, Just the size and scale of what's going to take place here is almost mind-boggling. My understanding, um, I'm not an expert, my understanding that the largest uh, current um, uh, wind to hydrogen uh, development in the world is about 750 megawatts. All of the five that we're doing in this province are at 2.5 to about uh, 3.5 gigawatts. So the, the, the size and scale means the, these, these companies that are doing these developments have to invent new technology that doesn't even exist at the present time. So that, that's a really exciting thing for us. Uh, I guess, you know, why, why are they here as opposed to somewhere else? Um, part of it, um, I guess, has to do with the fact that we have a really world-class resource in terms of the wind. Um, <clears throat> apparently we have, a, we have a, a, a wind resource that's pretty consistent right across the year, uh, right across the entire year. Um, You know, we don't have uh, doldrum uh, like you see in in other other parts of the world. Uh, So you can generate fairly consistent uh, energy, which, of course, you know, generates the hydrogen and the ammonia. Uh, We also have uh, very large swaths of crown land available. Um, My understanding is there's something like 30, 32 uh, wind energy um, uh, projects on the northeastern seaboard of the United States or the eastern seaboard. Um, and I can't even imagine what, what you had to pay for uh, private land in order to do something of the size of scale that we're talking about. So, so that's a, uh, And we've just gone through a pretty extensive pro- process here in the province over the last year. Uh, initially, there was about 19 or 20 companies. And we've since peered it down to about five companies or four, really, that are accessing crown land. So that's a pretty significant advantage. Uh, I guess the other thing, too, when you look at where the five that have been selected to go forward, at least initially... Uh, they're all in areas, even though they're they're rural, uh, they're pretty close to significant sized towns uh, that have really good infrastructure. Um, they all have large scale ice free ports uh, with, with um, <coughs> excuse me uh, good on land um, uh, dock facilities. Um, the towns themselves offer a whole range of modern amenities. Everything is connected up by the Trans Canada Highway. So there's a whole range of things that exist here. Um, And I guess the other thing too, is is perhaps the most important factor, is the proximity to where the markets are for this. So um, you recall just about a year and a half ago, the Canada-Germany Energy Accord that was signed uh, in Stephenville here in Western Newfoundland. Um, And I think that that whole energy agreement and the reason it was signed here was because, you know, Newfoundland, um, you know, had the opportunity to step up, you know, in a world-class way. Uh, to be a, a very significant provider of an alternative energy s- source, uh, so there's, there's a whole uh, compilation of factors, I believe, that have um, that have really, uh, um, I guess, resulted in, in Newfoundland kind of emerging as a bit of a leader. I know this is taking place elsewhere, but uh, I'm, I'm not aware of anywhere where there's five of this size taking place in one one jurisdiction. So, um, so like I said, the, the the advantages of a Newfoundland based, um, or based, I guess, really for these developments is is quite significant. So we'll finally
0: be able to get some economic value out of that famous Newfoundland weather. Well, uh, if you had any turbines going today, you'd certainly
2: (laughs) have (laughs) the lots of electricity. Um, So, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, like I said, a a pretty, um, you know, it's it's the wind, I guess, with everything else um, that, that makes it really attractive. So there are, as you mentioned, there are five projects being proposed for Newfoundland and
0: Labrador, a relatively small province. So on a scale basis, as you said, it's a very significant opportunity. I think the province is talking about $66 billion potentially in investment, which is just massive. Yeah. Um, and I guess turning specifically to, to your work, uh, how many of these five projects uh, do you have a memoranda of understanding or some sort of agreement with uh, right now?
2: Uh, we currently have two where we have uh, formal um, uh, memorandums of understanding. Uh, so that would be with World Energy, GH2, and with uh, Everett, which is based in central Newfoundland. Um, there, ha- there have been some discussions uh, with another one of the majors, uh, who's, again, within what we would consider to be our um, territorial area, when you look at where our 67 communities are based. Um, but that one hasn't materialized um in terms of an MOU or anything concrete at this point in time, um, but uh, so, so we're so, so right now we have two that we're formally tied to.
1: So tell us about what you're trying to uh, uh, seek in these agreements. Uh, what, what's your ultimate uh, objective?
2: Well, uh, I guess uh, we, we've one of the things we've done is we've we've looked fairly extensively across the country to find out you know what are, what have others who've gone before us done. Um, and, um, uh, surprisingly there are, there are some, you know, that have, that have certainly delved into, uh, you know, wind and hydrogen elsewhere, but just in terms of large scale developments, you know, we've, we've been trying to, uh, determine like, you know, who, who does it really well and who has done it, you know, uh, less well. So that was invaluable to us. Uh, I guess, uh, one, one of the things that we learned that whole process, we've also reached out and we've engaged uh, some pretty significant, professional help as well in terms of consulting companies. Uh, we've engaged uh, um, a pretty significant um, uh, law firm out of Ottawa that specializes in indigenous um, uh, uh, issues uh, around economic development and those kinds of things. So we've, we've done everything we've can to kind of bolster our, our, our way forward. So really I guess what we're looking for uh, is a really broad range of benefits. Uh, we wanna be involved at every level, including the planning phase, the Environmental assessment phase, construction, all the way through to operations. So, uh, so we certainly see ourselves being involved with these projects, you know, for the lifespan, which right now is somewhere around thirty to thirty-five years once they're once they're operational. Uh, in terms of the range of benefits, uh, we're looking at everything from um, uh, uh, um, uh, engineering, uh, in environmental engineering, and monitoring, especially on the front end. Um, uh, construction I um, know a number of these um, organizations or these developments will require full-scale work sites or, or work camps I'm sorry uh, we have plans to be involved with those um, security um, oh, there's just a vast range of companies so interestingly enough um, throughout that whole piece um, we have been actually working with companies that provide those services um, Currently, we have somewhere in the range maybe of about two dozen companies. Most of these are at least national in scope. In some cases, they have international elements to them as well, uh, where we've also devised a whole series of either letters of intent or MOUs at the, um, at the um, I guess, t- what I would ca- call the Tier 2 level. So, um, so we're, we're looking at every single aspect of these developments uh, right from uh, the, the planning and pre-planning all the way through uh, ultimately to uh, operations. So uh, so that's on that side of it. I guess I would, I would largely call that the procurement side, uh, but uh, as well, you know, we're also interested um, in equity um, and um, we're, we'll be in a position I think to announce something on that maybe early in the new year, uh, sometime in February. And again, we've reached out and found a, a company that specializes in this in Western Canada uh, who will probably partner with us. And again, we'll be, we'll be in a position to say a little bit more about that uh, early in the new year. Uh, but um, I guess one, one of the things that, that we constantly try to do here with the Halibut Holdings is to understand what it is that we don't know um, and to try to um, you know bolster our, our own capacity with pro- professional expertise and wherever we can find it. Um, so we've we found that that works uh, really well for us you know we've we work with um, Bdo Canada just in terms of general business planning um, uh, like I said we have a, a law firm Gowling actually out of Ottawa specialize in indigenous um um, you know, land claims and those kinds of things. Um, and um, really just to advise us in terms, you know, what our, our rights are in terms of asserting rights around um, these kinds of major projects, not just in wind energy, but mining and other things as well. So, um, so they've been very helpful to us. So, um, so at the end of the day, uh, like, so we're, we're looking at, we're looking at everything from where we are currently all the way through to 30, 35 years down the road, we still want to be involved with these projects. Um, if i if, if I could add something to that as well you know um we're we're not just asking the companies to give up something or pay us royalties or fees or or whatever uh you know with all of these other companies that we're dealing with I mean we're very serious about being full fledged partners and we think we can bring some really strong capacity to the table for the major tier one companies the the uh, and again um, you know both in wind energy and mining is going to be another huge sector in this province um um, you know, we've we've partnered with a company that does professional uh, human resource recruitment and training, uh, called Dover Group. They're big in the oil and gas sector now. They're transitioning over into uh, renewables. So that's just one example of the kinds of companies that we've been dealing with for the last twelve to eighteen months to bolster our own capacity, but to also offer to these large companies uh, a service that they're going to require. So. Um, so, uh like I said we're, we're we're involved just with every aspect uh, or we hope to be at least uh, with these companies as they as they go forward and roll into high gear
1: yeah not that long ago we did a podcast with uh, an indigenous leader uh, in BC it was called the BC um, alliance I think and I don't know if you're familiar with them but they, I think they were in the natural gas and field uh, okay, yeah. and uh, they were very proactive in, in, in reaching agreements with various companies, uh, uh, mainly around, I think, uh, um, pipelines, if I'm not mistaken, David, right? And um, they were a pretty good example, and you probably know all about them anyway. Uh, so, so I'm not going to ask you how much equity, that's probably confidential, but um, uh, yeah, what about the other opportunities? You mentioned it a little bit, but these, these big projects are going to create. Enormous supply chain opportun- opportunities. Yeah. Uh, have you identified anything specific uh, that uh, that you have a real interest in right now, or are you just waiting to see?
2: No, no. Uh, we we have been fairly specific, actually. So when, when I uh, mentioned you know that we have two formal MOUs with two of the uh, the largest developers, uh, th- those MOUs actually quite specifically identify. Uh, the areas where, you know we, we, uh, you know, we anticipate being involved. So uh, it, it, like there, there are not that many, like, just very general, broad statements. We want to be involved with procurement. We've actually specified, you know, many of the areas where um, we believe we can, we can put, provide a very significant um, um, uh, resource. Uh, I should add, you know, I, I've spoken quite a bit about, you know, joint ventures and letters of intent with national and international companies uh, the other thing that we build into these MOUs, uh, we, we have a lot of companies in this province, you know, that are, um, uh, very mature, very experienced companies that are also owned by Hallamoo members. So we, we build in, in writing into these MOUs and these agreements, you know, that those companies, um, are to be given some level of priority, uh, you know, when, when contracts and RFPs and expression of interests are being put out. So, um. So we are again. It's one of the things that we have learned uh, in our our research um, over the last number of years is um, is to uh, you know make make sure that you're we're, we're very comprehensive in the kinds of benefits that we're looking for. So, uh, just to give you an example, um, you know we have a um, we've we've identified camp services. Just to give you one specific example, uh, World Energy uh, will probably have a phase one of their camp. I'm speaking for World Energy now, uh, in place by spring of. Of this upcoming year, Um, and um, so when they uh, advertised their expression of interest uh, September past, it specifically identified for those companies they're all they're all national and international in scope. They would have to have a halibut partner. So uh, in a period of about two weeks, you know, we had about nine um, of these national uh, companies who reached out to us to uh, to explore, uh, I guess, discussions around some kind of a formal business framework. So. So those are the kinds of things that we have really uh, focused on, um, and um, they will provide huge opportunities for our members in terms of employment, and they will also provide various significant revenue streams back to us as well. So, uh, and you know, and we think that uh, we think that the major developers will also uh, receive significant benefit from having uh, an indigenous partner, you know, involved in these things. So, uh, I think I've already mentioned some of them. Um, Construction site development. I mean, those are going to be massive contracts. Uh, um, not not only for the for the uh, hydrogen and uh, um, the uh, um, ammonia plant. When you're looking at you know something in the range of 250 uh, 300 turbines, they all require considerable amount of construction uh, as well. So, and then and then there's an uh, ancillary. If if we're going to be involved with construction, what about heavy lift? Right now, there's no heavy lift capacity in this province at all, so that's something that we've we've reached out and we've had discussions um, about as well. So, uh, I, I think I think we've been fairly comprehensive in in identifying all those major areas that will generate really significant um, revenue and employment, uh, and then we just kind of uh, backstop it from there. Well, what else? Well, obviously, we're going to have to provide training. So uh, we have. Um, we have uh, been dealing with some of the educational institutes, and we've also partnered with a, an international training institute that provides training specific to the renewable sector. So um, up to this point in time, we've been, we've been kind of immersed in this for about 18 months. I, I'm not sure there's a category uh, that we've left out. We, we've explored and looked at virtually every aspect um, uh, that goes into developing you know, a full-fledged um, wind energy uh, operation, and we're we're fairly confident that we've we've picked off you know almost all of the major uh, spinoff that would result from that.
0: John, I'd like to dive a little deeper into the question of workforce. There is some concern that there won't be enough skilled workforce to take on these projects, and, and, and as you said, some very specific trades that uh, don't exist or, or very limited capacity in the province. Um, I understand you have uh, partnered with an organization called DOB Academy. Can yep. you tell us a
2: little bit about that relationship? Yeah, uh, DOB Academy uh, is a an organization. It's a private uh, training institute uh, in in the Netherlands, uh, in Delft. Um, it um, it's a uh, probably one of the most experienced companies of its kind uh, in all of Europe uh, in terms of uh, both onshore and offshore wind and hydrogen related training. They they do everything from short. You know, half-day corporate training, for example, all the way up to, uh, you know, more, more full-fledged uh, and robust training. Uh, that would be more technical in nature. Uh, I know in, in Europe, uh, they, they operate in a whole bunch of different areas. They're in Japan, they're in North Africa, uh, and other jurisdictions as well. Um, they also work, you know, with uh, college systems and universities to help develop curriculum jointly that can be delivered. So... It's a really interesting company. They've been around for a long time, very experienced in this sector. Uh, They they originally, um, I guess, were recruited or bought forward directly by World Energy. So when we developed our MOU with World Energy, that was one of the things that was agreed upon, that they would form a joint venture with us uh, so that they would have an actual foothold. um, in Not only in, in Newfoundland with respect to the World Energy Project, uh, uh, we have much higher aspirations for that company and see it being involved in training elsewhere in, in Canada and eventually right across North America. So the, the vision for this, uh, joint venture is, um, is, is a, is a, is a, you know, is that it be certainly long term and it's, it's a large vision. So, uh, I guess, uh, really where we are, uh, we, um, we were in Rotterdam at the, um, at the uh, World Hydrogen Summit last, I guess it was early in May. And we actually formed uh, the MOU um, uh, with DOB at that point in time. Um, then when uh, we hosted our industry show here in early June, EnergyNL is our big energy um, industry organization. Uh, the, uh, the owner of the DOB was one of the guest speakers. So we started the actual discussions uh, and have been exchanging paper back and forth in terms of an actual joint venture. And uh, it looks like we'll have the final uh, paperwork done very, very early in the new year. So, essentially, what that will be will be a, a, a 51% owned Halibut joint venture. Uh, it'll be based here in Western Newfoundland, probably headquartered in Stephenville area. Um, and um, it will it initially provide training um, to uh, the major wind developers. So we anticipate as soon as um, World Energy, for example, um, gets to the point of a, of a, of a final investment decision, um, late winter, early spring, we will we will sign a contract with them to provide all of their training. And we're very hopeful that that will happen with the other uh, wind energy operations as well. Uh, a couple of really interesting things about this company, they do a lot of corporate training. And um, uh, we've already had reach out from a number of large-scale companies here in the province who, who want to avail of everything from a one-day to a three-day training workshop. And basically what it is is that, um, you know, again, it's a completely and brand-new industry to this province. So uh, it's essentially wind, energy, and turbine, hydrogen, and ammonia 101. (laughs) So uh, apparently they cram a lot into it. It's very uh, active. Um, They use a lot of computer animation, those kinds of things. Uh, but again, they've been doing it for a long time and, and they've had really good results with it. I guess the other really interesting thing about this joint venture is um, they offer a kids program and they've rolled it out really successfully in the Netherlands. And they've come to find and uh, the European marketplace in terms of alternative energy and wind is a bit more mature than ours, is that if you don't reach kids uh, in grade school, uh, it's, it's much, much harder to entice them into the wind energy Uh, arena you know when they finish high school and they're starting to branch out into uh, post-secondary so they have a very very innovative uh, program and um, we'll be launching that um, you know probably sometime um, in 2024 at the school program as well so again it's it's a uh, we're we're really trying to look at every single aspect uh, of you know what what will wind and hydrogen bring to uh, not only to Newfoundland, but certainly to Halibut First Nation uh, and kind of cover up where we see all of the opportunities uh, in the long term. So uh, DOB Academy uh, certainly features very prominently in our long-term future.
0: You mentioned earlier there's about 25,000 Indigenous folks in your First Nation. Um, I wanted to ask you about the potential for Indigenous workers to develop careers in the sector I don't believe you're involved directly in it, but you had mentioned to me before about something Trades NL is doing around Indigenous workers. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yes, I can. Uh, well, tr- Trades NL uh, again is a is a major operation uh, here in the province that that represents primarily skilled trades workers, um, and um, you know, and on tries to place them with with companies, um, um, you know, specifically uh, with 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 large scale industrial developments. Um, I, I guess uh, uh, some some time back, uh, they, they opened up a, a branch organization. Uh, it's called Indigenous Trades NL. Um, and uh, I believe it's headquartered um, uh, in in Labrador. Um, but we also opened up an office just this past summer here in Cornerbrook. And uh, Vice Chief Jenny Brake, who is Vice Chief of Halibut, uh, was, uh, was actually uh, managing the office. Um, we just had a bit of a turn of events uh, in the last couple of weeks where... Um, where she's now become the full-time uh, uh, interim chief of Halibut, so she's no longer in that role. But certainly, uh, I believe everyone understood that uh, in this province, you know, when you're talking about skilled trades and you have a um, Halibut as well as uh, the other First Nations in the province, you know, a very significant of the skilled trade stock uh, is made up of Indigenous workers. So that organization works to identify um, who those skilled Indigenous workers are make sure that they're, they're, they're placed and, you know, receive upgrades and training and all those kinds of things. So, uh, it's something where, whereby we've already had some preliminary discussions about how we can use that organization to help us ramp up, um, uh, for the wind energy sector. And, uh, you know, the, 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 when, when you just look at size and scale, uh, we've done, we've done, you know, five or six major oil and gas developments in this province over the last four years. And, you know, they're, they're enormous in their size and scope. Uh, but, um, you know, r- right now we're looking at uh, these five wind projects, you know, totaling somewhere around 65 to $70 billion in a much more compressed time frame. And in some cases, they're going to be moving forward concurrently. So, you know, there is there is some concern about, you know, are, are we going to be able to find and generate the skilled workforce to be able to work on all these sites at the same time? So, um so anyway, it's something I think everyone really has their eye on, uh, the, the wind energy companies, certainly we do at Halibu Trade uh, Indigenous Trades NL and and uh, a lot of the, a lot of the supply chain companies as well. Um, you know, they're they're expert in their own areas. So um, it, it's something where there's been a great have been a great deal of discussion the last uh, 5 or 6 months.
0: There's another group called EcoNext and I'm sorry to put you on the spot and I know it's not oh, no affiliated with Halibu, but I wondered if you could just give our listeners a little a little view of what EcoNext is actually doing to help address the workforce demand.
2: Yeah, uh, e- EcoNext is, uh, uh, I guess, our province's environmental industry uh, association. Uh, so it's uh, headquartered in St. John's, been around for, for quite a while. Um, does really excellent uh, work. So they're on the they're on the cusp or the forefront in this province of help, helping uh, uh, with that green transition right right across the, the industrial space. Um, and keep, keeping in mind, we have a fairly robust industry base in this province that's been really, um, you know, working in the oil and gas sector for the last thirty to forty years. So there's a there's a there's a large volume of transitioning from that industry into the green space. So so EcoNext uh, offers a whole bunch of things um, in terms of training and and, and whatever um, um, uh, workshops uh, to facilitate that. Uh, they, they've jumped fairly quickly, uh, on to the, um, uh, the wind energy, um, uh, I guess activity that's taking place here in the province. So one of the things that they have done, uh, I hope not letting the cat out of the bag. Um, you know, they, they're already, um, uh, engaged with some, uh, pretty, uh, uh, impressive consultants and they're looking at where are these critical skills gaps here in the province. Um, so, um, um, you know, they're, they're dealing with, again with the, the major wind companies, uh, all the supply chain companies, um, like I said, the, um, the, uh, the, the company that they have engaged is doing the research, you know, is quite adept at this, talking to the various levels of government, uh, the training institutes, indigenous organizations, um, and our college system and of course our university system. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on, on the, that committee. Uh, uh, but I'll, I'll, let the organization speak for it in more detail, but, you know, they're, they're taking a pretty comprehensive approach in terms of where are we now? Where do we have to be in fairly short order, uh, in terms of wrapping up our own industrial trades and professional trades, uh, skills, uh, uh, development. And, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, in 2024, they will, they'll be coming forward with some news in terms of what the findings were. So it's pretty, a uh, pretty interesting organization.
1: Uh, John, I understand that you have a vision of Western uh, Newfoundland and Labrador becoming a second innovation cluster, uh, similar to the other one, on, which is on the east coast in the oil and gas sector. Uh, yeah, can you tell us more about this vision?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I guess uh, again,
2: uh, I've already referenced a co- couple of times. You know, we we have reached out to other other bands and other locations to, you know, basically try to understand how how they do it, how they. How they became successful, and we have some incredibly successful, you know, bands of First Nations right across the entire uh, country. So, w- one of the things that's always resonated with me was, you know, don't don't settle for the short-term benefits. Uh, whereby, uh, especially on these large mega projects, where uh, you know uh, your 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 First Nations workers cut the brush and do the construction and clean up the bodies, you know, really carve out a legacy for yourself. Uh, and assert rights um, and ambitions and, um, and, and develop a long-term legacy. So we've taken that advice to heart. Um, in this province, um, you know, our, our, uh, we, we have an oil and gas industry that dates back now, I guess, is pushing about 40 years. And, um, uh, and, and, I, and I guess I'm, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when, when that was a, a, a very emerging uh, kind of an industry. Um, And I guess it's it's been quite successful. Uh, The province has benefited from that in terms of oil revenue uh, and all the other things that have gone along with it. But when when you look at some of the long-term legacy pieces in terms of programming and research and development, um, uh, training opportunities, I mean, most of it was centered close to where the resource was out in the North Atlantic. So, um, you know, so a lot, lot of the benefit for the last four years has been very much concentrated on the east coast of the province, particularly in the northeast uh, Avalon, um, and I, I don't hope I don't sound like I'm saying that in a negative way. I mean, um, I, I'm uh, I'm really glad that uh, that the province was able to avail of it. I guess from a halibut point of view, when we look at legacy, what we see now is that we have a very large scale wind energy um, uh, uh, industry that's going to emerge very very quickly in this province. It's it's it's. Um, when you look at the five uh, companies, um, they're all in fairly uh, diverse areas, uh, rural areas, um, located off, off the Avalon, for lack of a better way of putting it. So uh, when, when you look at where do we want to be 20 or 25 years down the road, um, the only other place in the province that has uh, both um, you know, a large-scale community college presence uh, with uh, programming that really meshes extremely well with the wind energy companies, as well as a university campus um, is here on the West Coast and particularly in the Corner Brook area. So um, uh, one of the big legacies of the oil and gas industry over that 35-year period is we have spun off hundreds of high-tech firms. And and again, but you'll find that it's mostly clustered on the East Coast and the rest of the province has not been able to avail or, or benefit from that. So, we just think that we have a once in a generation or once in two generation opportunity uh, to kind of duplicate that uh, for the wind energy sector in a different part of the province. Um, And and you already asked some questions earlier on, but you know, like why is Newfoundland in our area uh, considered world class in terms of the resource and those kinds of things? So, if you extend that uh, that, that thinking, you know, we, we could have the advantage in this province of having two very high end. Innovation clusters, um, you know, that are over time spinning off uh, high tech companies um, based on investments in research and development spinning out of our um, our educational institutes, and and we do hope at some point in time our joint venture with the DoB Academy would play a prominent role in it. So, I guess I guess that's uh, that's uh, it. Sounds a little bit ne- nebulous. It's it's one of those things where over time we will further refine our thinking on that. So uh, what we've been doing is talking to some of the organizations and the, uh, the educational institutes, for example, uh, the industry. You know, um, you know, how can we all kind of combine and come together to make that uh, dream or vision become a reality? Um, and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that it will come to fruition because uh, it would, it would certainly be a game changer. Um, I guess apart from that, you know, uh, and the, uh, the legacy would leave to Halibut and to this region of the province, uh, you know, we have to move very, very quickly with some of this. Uh, otherwise, the opportunities won't even happen in this province at all. It will happen on the northeastern uh, seaboard of the U.S. or other jurisdictions across the country or other jurisdictions internationally. Uh, so um, it's one of those things where uh, we've been doing our best to try to animate that discussion uh, with key partners at at the very senior level, so that um, you know there's one common vision, and it just just to me, it just seems to be like ultimately sensible to be looking at that as an end goal for everybody to to have another you know uh, well developed innovation technology cluster in a different part of the province.
1: Well, I you know John, we've been doing a number of um, podcasts on on green energy and offshore uh, wind recently did one with Peter Nicholson, who just wrote a, uh, a report called Catching the Wind. I don't know if you've read that yet, no. but he, 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 uh, he says that Atlantic Canada can be an energy super uh, power, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, we've done a podcast with Ever Wind in Nova Scotia and Bear in Nova Scotia. We hope to do one with uh, World Energy in the new year. It's a great opportunity uh, right across the region. Obviously, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition for capital, a lot of camp- comp- competition for human resources, and uh, and even materials. You know, in a world that's trying to go green. Yeah. But I want I want your thoughts on on what has to happen in Newfoundland and, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador to realize the potential of green hydrogen.
2: Well, you know, uh, uh, it, it's a really interesting question. Um, and, and I personally, I guess, given some thought uh, to it uh, and certainly discussed it with, with others within within our Palibra organization. Uh, and, you know, I know when you, if we could turn the clock back 40 years ago, when, when the dream of offshore oil and gas was just that, um, we weren't even really sure whether it was going to take place. But anyway, eventually it did come to pass. And one of the things our provincial government did uh, and had a lot of lead time, uh, they developed a whole series of federal provincial agreements, uh, which were very well funded. The original Atlantic Accord, I think, had a $300 million uh, opportunities fund. And essentially what it did, it was basically step back, look at what other jurisdictions around the world have done to develop, um, um, I guess back in those days we were calling them centers of excellence. Uh, like an oil and gas center of, of excellence and and how do, how do you prepare for that? Um, so uh, so a lot a lot of that funding and a lot of that uh, thinking that took place at the time uh, even got down to the municipal level. you know if we're going if we're gonna start to you know we're gonna have these mega projects and all this revenue coming in, how's it going to impact you know certain economies on the northeast Avalon in terms of social issues and education and uh, certainly with respect to training and r and d. So I, th- I think I think the province did a really good job, you know, over a period of years of thinking that through, and making sure that um, you know that uh, benefits flowed into the province. I know um, w- when they were dealing with a lot of the major oil companies at the time, you know, you had to have a benefits package whereby you work with local engineering companies and um, shipping and transportation companies, and you know, all the ways back through, um, you know, structural steel and fabrication. None of our companies back in those days was ready uh, or at the level uh, to be able to participate at that level. So a lot, a lot of this uh, capacity funding was used for them to upgrade and, and to be ready for when those opportunities did flow through cr- contracts and whatever. So uh, you know, we weren't successful in every case. I mean, there was still work and stuff that was done elsewhere you know, in, uh, in, in Korea and, and in Norway because of specialized expertise, but I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of building up that capacity. I guess that's the one the one thing right now that, that I'm, I'm not really seeing at, at any level of government is is anyone really planning uh, for where uh, and what is going to happen with respect to uh, renewable energy development in this pro- in this in this province. The, the only the one thing we have kind of as a disadvantage going against us is that it's going to happen much much quicker. So we don't have five or six or seven years of lead time to think these things through, find the resources to implement them. So uh, if if there's one thing that we need to do, you know, there has to be a much higher level of collaboration, um, you know, amongst all the priorities. Because at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I don't have to tell you, industry uh, works in a very logical fashion. If they require something and it's not available, they will go and find it um, and, um, wherever it is. Um, and some of that will probably happen anyway, but, um, the more that we can do to kind of try to pick off like what those kinds of opportunities are and build our own local capacity, um, you know, the more, the more the benefits will flow back to our province and certainly back to Halibu First Nation, which is my primary concern. So, um, you know, there's only certain things we can do as a First Nation on our own, we can talk about this, and we can animate, and we can, you know, present in forums and workshops and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, you know, it's our, uh, you know, the elective representatives have to uh, kind of grab the bull by the horns and and really do that long-term planning. And you know what? It, it may be happening. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really uh, um, um, able to say for sure, you know, uh, about what's going on behind closed doors, but. I guess to this point in time, I haven't really seen a huge amount of uh, evidence to that fact. So, uh, I guess that's that. That would be my final thought on that on that topic. I mean, if, if we don't, if we don't, you know, as a an entire province, kind of step up um, and look at where those opportunities are and prepare for them. I mean, they they will happen elsewhere. In which case, collectively, we all all have lost significant opportunities.
0: That's an excellent point, John. Uh, just one last question: um, Do you think the sector could be a game changer? For the First Nations and Indigenous population uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh,
2: I, I think so, and, and of course, uh, I've only been really focusing on on Halibut, uh, but you have our uh, you have a Mi'kmaq um, um, First Nation, and I know they have significant uh, involvements of their own in in this sector. Um, so, um, um, and of course, you know we're going to see not just in wind uh, in in the entire uh, green uh, economy. We're gonna see major developments take place when you look at what's gonna happen in Labrador with respect to uh, electricity. Um, you know, that, that whole notion that Newfoundland could be a world leader in terms of, a, of an energy hub, I mean, it, it certainly can come to pass. Um, so um, so in, for, for, for indigenous populations, there is absolutely no doubt. We look back 10 years from now, certainly 20 years from now, we'll be able to kind of point, you know, to this time frame and say, this is when, this is when things change for us in a very positive way.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, the possibility of mining and projects with crit- critical minerals projects that are needed for the, uh, the energy transition. So John, thank you today for joining us on the insights podcast. We wish you all the best uh, mm-hmm. as you pursue economic opportunities for indigenous people and for the Halibut First Nation uh,
2: in Newfoundland. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I was really happy to be with you guys today. I love talking about this story. <laughs> you've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlanta, Canada.